and there's already a bit yellow blood in my in my veins. Already had a crazy 80 months here, but it just keeps on uh, keeps on going. Welcome to All in Yellow, the official Norwich City podcast. Tukey! Sensational! Who else? Hello and welcome to the next episode of the All in Yellow podcast. Today we're taking you back to the early 2010s and a player from a team who stole the hearts of all Norwich City fans with those back-to-back promotions. It's midfielder Andrew Sturman. Well, Andrew only played 58 games for the Canaries, but he's a real hero for many Norwich City supporters. He helped the team to promotion, of course, in the 2010-11 season and scored in the famous 5-1 win at Portman Road. He also featured in the first Premier League season under Paul Lambert, scoring five times. He certainly did. But before we get started, make sure you subscribe to the All in Yellow podcast as we aim to bring the best Norwich City insight out there. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search All in Yellow. And we're also on the Norwich City YouTube channel if you prefer your podcast in visual form. So let's get cracking with the latest episode of All in Yellow with today's guest, Andrew Sermon. Andrew, it is great to have you on board. Welcome to the All in Yellow podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually up in Milton Keynes at the moment, um, standing in a service apartment, so I'm, I'm there for a couple of months. So, uh, yeah, just uh, enjoying the lockdown like everyone else. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, we'll come on to Milton Keynes in a bit, but firstly, I want to take you right back to the very beginning. You were born in Johannesburg, weren't you? Just tell us about that. Yeah, I was born there. Um, uh, my mum and dad worked over there, uh, so me and my brother, who's two years older, we, we were born over there, and um, and we lived there for, I think I moved over there when I was about eight or nine. Um, I haven't been back since, unfortunately. I just haven't had the chance. But, um, but yeah, it was it's a beautiful country. My mum and dad still live there six months of the year. So um, I've still got a link in that, in that respect. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lovely country. And, yeah, um, but like I say, one day I'll go back. Have you got a lot of, uh, have you got any family back there, Andrew? No family. Still friends that I actually keep in touch with that I somehow, you know, I knew when I was, again, six, seven, eight. Um, I text every now and then uh, but like I say I haven't had the chance to go back yet Did you settle in Southampton when you came to England because obviously you joined the academy was it at the age of 10? Yeah so uh, so yeah when we moved over here uh, I got into a local team called Hedge and Rangers and uh, my dad was actually the manager um, which helped so I played every week <laughs> but uh, and then I got picked up <laughs> at then, uh, 10 by Southampton I think it was a centre of excellence back then uh, and then obviously worked my way through um, until I was obviously made my debut. And what's the setup like there? Because obviously Southampton are renowned for bringing through youth from the academy. You look at like sort of Gareth Bale and, and Luke Shaw and yourself. What's, what's the setup there? Uh, it, it just had a, a really good reputation. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it was just a purple patch of players that came through at the time. Obviously, ahead of me was players like Wayne Bridge came through, um, who went on to have a really good career. And I think around my my age group. You obviously mentioned a few names there, but there were so many players that went on to play at least League One Championship and obviously Premier League and, and obviously the likes of Gareth Bale, Theo, playing internationally as well. So um, it was incredible, really, because the amount of players that came and went as I came up through the age groups, you know, probably from under 10s to under 16 or under 17s when I signed my pro contract, I was probably one of the only ones left, really, that come through from a, from a sort of 10-year-old. So, but I mean, like I say, that the players that, the players that came through was, was incredible. And I think at the time there was West Ham as well, who had a really good reputation and they were bringing through players like Lampard and Carrick and 
and players like that. And it was just a few academies around the country and Southampton was one of them that, that sort of seemed to bring through really good talent. So potentially it's not just the setup of the academy, but having other players like that, does that invoke a little sense of competition that perhaps brought everyone through? Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, I think, like I say, I think it just seemed to happen in, in a sort of three-year period where all these players just came through, you know, even again, like the likes of Alana, Nathan Dyer, Leon Best, Dexter Blackstock, all these sort of players. And we, we won, I think, the under-19 um, sort of championship, as it was then. Uh, and we probably should have won the Youth Cup. I think that the, the, the team below us, I think actually, I think they might have lost to, to Norwich in the, uh, in the, in the final, um, who had all those players playing. Um, but yeah, it was just an incredible influx of players that came through and, and went on to have really good careers. You actually had a couple of loan spells um, when you were, I think, 18 and 19, Walsall, and then at Bournemouth as well. How did both of those spells come about and how did you know they was, those were the teams for you? Uh, well, Harry Redknapp was manager at Southampton at the time and um, he had brought in quite a lot of players. And as a young player, I probably couldn't see myself breaking in um, at that age. I think I was 18 at the time. So um, he came to watch a game. I think it was a reserve game. Uh, and, it, and he called me into his office and said, look, you know, Paul Merson's manager at um, Walsall, we'd like to bring you, he'd like to take you in. Um, excuse me. So, yeah, so I went there not really knowing anything about it. It was a bit out of the blue. Um, and I think obviously Redknapp had a good, Harry Redknapp had a good, relationship with Paul Merson through from Portsmouth so I went there not really knowing what to expect um and I've, I've said this before I remember my first my first journey up there was um Paul Merson phoned me which was a bit surreal in, its, in itself I was in my little red polo <laughs> cruising up the M6 towards Walsall and um and he phoned me and said because we had a game the next day and he said uh you know everything okay I said yeah he said well obviously you realize it's it's sort of, we usually do like fancy dress to to, to to, to the games and stuff and I, I being at 18 I was a little bit like and in awe of him I was thinking what so <laughs> and he was like well so if you've got like a school uniform and like or just a, like a tie just wear that and then you can look and I was actually went for it obviously thankfully he was joking but but that was the first time I had a proper sort of um contact with him and, and and went there for three months and really enjoyed it It was a great experience being with him because he the career he'd had the, the life experience he'd had um obviously the ups and downs he had so I really enjoyed my time there. So, um, and then obviously when I came back that summer, um, Bournemouth came in and, and wanted to take me on loan and, and had a good six-month spell there as well. You actually played with Eddie Howe, didn't you, at Bournemouth in that first in that first spot? And then obviously we'll come on to it a bit later, but you, you come to then meet again. Did you have a good relationship when you played together then? Yeah, a really good relationship. I mean, he was obviously an experienced head when I was obviously only young, um, but probably wasn't that close to him um, as a sort of person, but, you know, obviously played with him and, and other players, like obviously Jason Tinder, who's manager now, he was also a player there. Um, Steve Fletcher, who still works at the club. So a lot of the players I played with at that age, um, I think Stephen Purchase as well, he's the, he's the first team coach, they're still at the club. So um, that, that was great. And obviously rejoining later in my career was a little bit, little bit different relationship I had with him, but obviously um, I did have that link there. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. What um, When you were coming up through the ranks, Andrew, how did your style of play evolve from being a junior player into those that first taste of senior football? Uh, I think I think I made my debut when I was... Um, I think it was at, at Walsall, getting my league debut anyway, against Bristol City away. Um, and it was just... I always remember that game because it was, it was so weird. Obviously, when you're playing in the academy, it's completely different. You know, there's... You, you want to do well, you want to prove yourself, but there's not really much riding on it. You Obviously, your career's riding on it, but it's not a league situation or, you know, a club 
finances are rested on the fact that if you win or lose and, and things like that. So going into a club that I think they were sort of mid-table and, and looking to try and get in the playoffs and I scored on my debut and, and we won the game and they were talking about, oh, we, you know, we might get in the playoffs if we can carry on this run. And I was thinking that's completely different to what I'd been used to. You know, it was suddenly I had to grow up. I had to take things more, you know, seriously. I had more responsibility because like I say, when you put it on the shirt and you're going out playing in front of fans and they're expecting you to win and perform, it's completely different. And I think, you know, that going out alone for a young player is, is probably the biggest experience you can have. You know, it's, it's very difficult to get that similar feeling when you're playing in an academy or playing in a 19s games on a 23 games when there's one man and his dog watching possibly it's it's it means a lot but it's not the same as actually playing you know for a league league team so you have that experience with those loan spells and then you come back to Southampton but there were some difficulties kind of on and off the pitch at the time weren't there what kind of problems were the club facing and how did that affect the players yeah, it was um, it was a strange period for the club because I think Rupert Lowe was the chairman at the time, and there was a lot of animosity around him. You know, people didn't really like him, the fans anyway. Um, there was a lot of managers coming in and going. Obviously, Harry Redknapp came in, we got relegated. There was a lot of players at the club that possibly needed they needed to get rid of, um, and it was a it was a tough period actually. And then when the club got relegated to the Championship, we were okay for a while, but it was almost like there was a new manager every year. I think we were something like ten managers in ten years, and could never really get settled and, and as a young player it's very difficult because obviously every time a manager comes in he wants to bring his own players in his own staff and you almost start again you know with your reputation and what you've built so that was a tough period actually um not just for me but for the club and I think probably I've said it before the probably the best thing that could have happened was obviously getting relegated to league one that's the season I left obviously we got relegated um and they brought in um Players like Lalana, they start to get blooded into the team because they had to get rid of the Deadwood and they just rebuilt. Um, they got a new owner, a new chairman. And from then, that point onwards, it just the, the club just went from league to league. And, and it's now, well, they sat sixth in the Premier League. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible yeah, it must rise, be good really, to see how they're, they're doing now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, obviously, I you, you look at, I mean, at the time of recording. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They beat Liverpool, didn't they? I think it's a great example, really, um, of when a manager, you know, they lost 8-1. I know he's probably fed up with everyone keeps saying about that, but when they, I think, was it 9-8-9-1 to Leicester? 9-0 to Leicester, yeah. And you think, and probably most clubs would have would have sacked him. But I think it's testament, and it's a, it's a real lesson for clubs to stick with their managers, because he was obviously building something. It's going to be hard when you're taking over a club to try and get your own thing across. But, I mean, look where he is now. He's built a, a really, really good, well-organised team, and um, and look, and they're flying at the moment. Yeah. So Wolves then come along and they're in the Premier League. How did that come about? And, and that was obviously a, a big jump up. Obviously, they, Southampton had just been relegated, as you say, to League One, which you think helped them moving forward. But how did it go from playing for them to playing for Wolves? Uh, yeah, so I think, obviously, I got relegated, well, we got relegated. Um, and I think the club was in some financial problems and, and they were talking about having to sell players to try and almost basically pay the wages. Um, and at that time, I was probably um, somehow uh, one, of the, one of the bigger assets because I was young and I played a lot of games um, and probably had a little bit of interest from other clubs. I think they felt that, you know, that was the time to sell, you know, at that point as well for me personally, it was a good time to go. We'd been relegated to League One and a Premier League club in Wolves had come in. So for my own personal career, 
it seemed like the right move. It was really gutting to leave because obviously I've been at that club since I was 10. I'd always supported them. My mum and dad supported them, all my family. So it was really tough, but I, I just felt it was the right thing for both both parties. And like I say, Southampton have built since then. And, and obviously, yeah, I went to join Wolves um, under Mick McCarthy and, and obviously only, only really stayed there a year. So I guess at Wolves is your first taste of Premier League football. What was that like as an experience and how did it shape your time at Wolves? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible because I, I, I actually ended up playing. I mean, I didn't really play many games. I think when I joined, they'd come off the back of a, um, a promotion from the championship. They just got promoted. And I think at the time, Mick McCarthy was quite keen on, on keeping a sort of similar squad and, and structure to his team. So it was difficult for me coming in, trying to break into that because they had a, they had a good thing going. So I didn't play that many games, but... And the games I did play were sort of Man United away, Chelsea away, City. I played against all the sort of top teams, really, where we, we didn't, obviously, we, we lost quite convincingly to all of those, really. But as an experience, you know, that was the first time, really, I'd, I'd gone to another, another you know, one of the big clubs, or some of the big clubs in, in the world, really, and, and in the Premier League. And it gives you like a taste of thinking, this is where you want to be. You want to be in the Premier League. What was it like playing under Mick McCarthy? I can imagine him being quite a sort of straight up guy. Yeah, he was just honest, you know, and I, and I respected that because you always knew where you stood with him. Um, you know, I, I, he obviously did really well at Wolves. He's a good manager, great guy, you know, to talk to. Um, obviously, if you're doing well, if you're not, then probably not. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, he was a he was a great guy, and uh, you know, like I say, even though th- though things didn't work out for me personally, um, I had a good relationship with him, and, and like I say, he always seemed to get the best out of players um, and, and the squad that he had. Yeah, I think because of the season I'd had, I think they were quite open to to sort of selling me, um, which was fair enough. I hadn't really played that much, and um, and yeah, so I, I spoke to my agent, and he said that he'd spoken to to Paul Lambert, and and that you know they were interested. So I was on, on holiday actually, um, and uh, I was sat. Uh, we were in Portugal, and I was sat at a pool with my mum and dad, um, and my wife and my little boy. I think I had my little boy at that time, um, and we were sat there just having lunch and. I looked, my dad said to me, he said, oh, do you don't you guess who's sat behind me? I said, I don't know. He said, Paul Lambert sat behind me. And I was thinking, that's weird. Like, he just sat on his own. So I was thinking, all right, okay. So I phoned my agent. I said, look, Paul Lambert's out here. Um, I don't know why, because he seems to be on his own. Um, you know, he was wearing Is he just budget. stalking you, maybe? Well, he had his budgie smugglers on by the pool. So I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. nice so I didn't really want to overturn and speak to him. So, yeah. So I phoned him, my agent, and then he he actually spoke to him and then he said, oh, yeah, I've just spoken to him. He's over there. He apparently didn't realise you were over there. So if you want to meet up with him. So I went and had a chat with him and, and he basically just sold it to me. And and then when I came back, I think he wanted me to fly back there and then and sign. Um, but obviously I had another week because it was actually my honeymoon. So I had another week left. Uh, so I just said, look, I'll, I'll definitely sign when I come back. I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you I'll sign and then I'll go sign for someone else in that time. So obviously I gave him my word. And then when I came back, I, I signed straight away. How did your wife feel about that? You're on your honeymoon and you're having a, you're having a meeting with the Norwich manager. Oh, How did that it. work? <laughs> yeah, oh, did, you know, did you know much about Norwich before then? Um, I knew they were a big club. I knew they were a massive club. So I knew that, you know, they had a massive fan base even in League One. Uh, I knew they'd just been promoted. But apart from that, there wasn't really too much I knew about it. Obviously, as soon as I knew they were interested, I did a little bit of research myself, but there wasn't too much. You know, I knew I'd, I'd obviously played there. Um, I knew a little bit about the stadium, but that was that was about it, really. So 
I was going into it a little bit unknown, not really knowing um, what I was walking into. But yeah, I mean, it was as soon as I as soon as I came in the door, it was it was brilliant. Um, but it, it's incredible with that season that we we when I first joined. I mean, we went to Germany on on, on pre season and uh, we was sort of setting up and we have a meeting in Culverhouse the, the coach was almost setting us up to say look we're, we're going to be fighting relegation this year we've just been promoted to League One we've got to stay in the league it's going to be a tough league a massive step up so we were gearing up really for, for survival it wasn't one of those where we were like well we're going to go win the league you know we, we sort of believe we could but at that point we were just like look just get everyone together we'll stay in the league and then we'll build from there and obviously the rest is history I guess of that that's interesting, really. Did that put you off as a player? Well, I've just come to a club here that I think is a big club, could be a good move for me. And the first thing I'm told is we're going to be in a bit of a scrap this year. How did you feel about that? Um, I, I didn't really feel anything. I think I just felt that it was probably a good message because I just felt that it probably geared everyone up thinking, right, we've got to be out of here. We, I know we've just got promoted from League One. Obviously, I wasn't there, but the, the, the lads had. And it almost prepares you mentally to say, look, we're in a fight before anything else, we're not just going to come into this league and cruise up the league and, and just win the championship like we did the League One or whatever. It's going to be really tough. So I didn't really mind that. I think I wasn't quite sure how it was going to pan out because obviously, you know, I'd only just joined the club. I didn't know too much about the team, how they played and all that sort of thing. So it was just learning how we were going and we played a few pre-season games and I thought, actually, you know what, we've, we've got actually a good, good chance this season. Um, and But it just see how it goes but I think we played Watford the last uh, sorry the first game of the season and we got beat I think it's been live on Sky actually I can't remember what the score was it might have been 1-0 2-0 and I think we were a little bit like wow because Watford was sort of one of the teams that people thought might struggle and we got beat quite convincingly and it was thinking blimey but again after that you know it was it was fine and it was obviously an incredible Norwich squad that first season that you joined the likes of Grant Holt how did you settle in who helped you settle in I remember reading about some barbecues or something yeah, uh, I was obviously up there on my own for quite a bit of it because when I first moved up, we didn't have a house and um, it was difficult to, to live in a hotel with with my wife and, and little boy. So they'd come up every now and then. So I was on my own quite a lot. And there was a few, there were probably three or four other players that had just that were doing in the same boat, basically. Uh, so yeah, so Holt, we had a couple of barbecues and and you know got the lads together and it was it was sort of yeah players like Holty, Wes, Adam Jury. Um, Michael Nelson, you know, those sort of players who, who were really, you know, the small, probably more senior players that, that really helped out. So and it was it was just quite interesting because we were all living in a hotel and it was like there was no, there was absolutely no houses to, to move into because everyone was looking to rent. Um, and it was it was like a fight against time to see who get in a house first. And I remember we all like every day were on right loop and it was like, you know, suddenly you see a house and everyone be running down the stairs to get in a car to get there first. And it was just, it was unbelievable. We're like, some of the lads were living in a hotel for ages because they just couldn't find a house. So we were lucky we got in one. And um, But yeah, it was, it was quite a surreal sort of time because living in a hotel for eight weeks wasn't, wasn't ideal. So you had that adverse start against Watford and you started to worry a little bit, having been given a brief of, right, we're in a scrap to stay up. When did that tide begin to turn, do you feel? Uh... You know, I can't. I can't really remember the games, to be honest. I can't. I can't quite remember when that turned. Um, because I think we sort of we were a little bit under the radar. I think most of the season it wasn't like we flew out the top and, and everyone was like, "Well, they'll get promoted." I think we just sort of lingered around the top six. And I think the longer the season went on, we just seemed to gain more and more more belief. Um, I'd probably say. I mean, the game, the matches I can remember um, where we we really thought we were so close was when I think we had Forest. 
uh, Forest at home, where I think we won two one. Um, and then there was a, was it? I think it was dark. Was it Derby? Where we I think Simeon Jackson scored in the last minute. Oh, you so scored really... the winner for Forest against Forest, didn't you? Yeah, but we just lost to Swansea, and I think we yeah. lost to Swansea with Watford. And I was thinking, oh, no, you know, you start getting a doubt, thinking, oh, we're gonna are we gonna have enough here to just close the close the deal, but. That what that obviously we beat Forest and then I think I think I come in when the Derby game was but I remember I'd been taken off so I sat on the bench with David Fox and when when uh, Simo uh, Simi Jackson obviously popped that in we was all on the pitch like jumping around and I think that's probably the moment where you thought yeah I think it's gonna be our season and that must have felt incredible given you didn't really have the best of times at Wolves was it seven appearances you made for them so even though yeah they were in the Premier League. You then drop down to the championship, but to end the season back up in the Premier League, having played such a crucial role in that promotion, must have felt really good. Yeah, it did, and I, I didn't realise how many games I'd actually missed that season because I've had a, a couple of serious knee injuries. Which, you know, I, I had a knee injury, came back, and then I think getting switch at home. I think it was my first game back, I did it again. So, you know, to, to to manage to play, I think about twenty games, I was actually really pleased with considering I had, like I say, I had two serious knee injuries. So I was just really happy to. to contribute to that and then obviously you know you want to be part of it when you're going into the Premier League you don't want to be a bit part player where you're thinking well we got to the Premier League now I'm probably not going to get in a team so um, so yeah no it was great to contribute that season. Uh, a particularly memorable contribution if I'm right in saying you might well have scored the opener uh, at Portman Road in, the, in a 5-1 victory how, how was that night for everyone? I was unfortunate I could only watch it on a bean back I didn't, didn't get a ticket but it, it looked like a fun evening for everyone there. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, um, again, I suppose when you talk about um, season-defining matches, that was probably one of them because that, again, to go to Portman Road and, and smash them 5-1 was was incredible, really. Um, and obviously when I scored, I, I, was, I was buzzing because I knew how big a game it was for the, for the Norwich fans and equally the Ipswich fans. So it was a massive, massive derby. So... Um, but I think the only the only shame was that the, the the fans were so far down the other side of the end of the pitch. By the time I got to them, I don't, I don't think I even got to them to be honest. I think I got rugby tackled by Russell Martin on the way down there. So um, I'd love to jump in there, but it was um, yeah, it was a great result. How much more competitive did it feel playing in the Premier League? Because obviously you've touched on the fact you had some injuries and you didn't feature that much at the start the first season back, and it was competitive. But it must speak volumes for the fact that you managed to, to win your place back in the side and, and then had another couple of successful seasons at Norwich. How how much different was there in the kind of level there in the Premier League? Yeah, it's a massive step up. You know, I think it's the biggest, it, it, you know, if League One to Championships, a step up. But to go up to the, into the Premier League, it's, it's a massive step up. The, the players are quicker, stronger, fitter, better. You know, the, the, especially the top six at the time, they were just so far ahead of everyone. Um and like you say, I mean, when at the start of the season, we'd obviously brought in some new players. I think Anthony Pilkerton came in, Bradley Johnson, um, players like that. And, and obviously there was going to be competition for places. So obviously when new players come in, I think sometimes they're under pressure to play more because obviously they've spent money on them. So you, you sort of almost have to accept the fact that you might have to wait for your, your chance. And, and that's what I did. And, and I managed to get back in a team. And again, I played sort of 20 odd games and really contributed to the actual, to that season. So I was really pleased considering, like you say, I'd, I'd um, you know, I'd missed quite a few games at the start of the season and, and we'd stayed up and, and I managed to score a couple of goals as well, which which I was really pleased about. And it was just, it was, again, it was just another whirlwind season and, and it was new for everyone because I don't think, again, anyone in the squad really had played in the Premier League. So, How did the 
like the coaching staff manage that when you've played a lot of games towards the end of a promotion season and you've embedded yourself in the team and as you said new players come in how do they they deliver that message to you they just let you kind of work it out for yourself okay here's where I fit in here's what I'm going to have to do to get my place um I think it's I think it's a I always appreciate it honestly and I think I did get that from Paul Lambert you know I always felt that as long as I might not be happy about it, but as long as they're, you know, he's honest about it. And I think it was just a case of, look, you know, you've done great, but this is the way I'm going to go. Keep your head down, keep working. And to be honest, that was in my nature anyway. I didn't really need to be told that. I knew that I had to get my head down. I'm not one of those players that would go away and sulk. So, um, but you just appreciate the honesty. And, and you do realise as well, which I've probably realised more so when, when I joined Bournemouth was, I think it's such a squad game, especially in the Premier League, because you know, there's injuries, there's the intensity is so high, it's getting higher. And I think when the team benefits, everyone benefits. You know, if the team wins, everyone wins. You know, whether you're playing or not, further down the line, you might play in 10 games time. It doesn't matter. If you if you can keep focused and you get take your chance when you come in, you're going to contribute to that team's success. And and I think that's the that's the most important thing that I probably learned. Again, mainly for Bournemouth, but obviously at, at the time at Norwich, I, I tried to try to understand that. I guess honesty is key as well, isn't it? Because you can have a manager telling you all the things that he maybe thinks you'd want to hear, but not being completely truthful with for you or towards you. But with Paul Lambert, it doesn't sound like you got that. And he was very honest. Was he your favourite manager to work under here in Orange? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, um, you know, I, I just find him such a good motivator. He, he made, I think he made everyone feel that they were good enough to beat anyone um, against anyone. You know, he, he never had any doubts when he went on the pitch and, and I think that's just told by the success that he had with, you know, to get to get a, a, a club from League One to the Premier League in two seasons is is incredible. You must be doing something right. So I had, I had massive respect for him, and it was a shame to see him go to Villa, but he obviously earned that. Um, uh, and I, I obviously he's doing well at, at dare I say Ipswich now. Don't say it. <laughs> we can edit that bit. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of your memories of the people that you met at Norwich City. Uh, who, who did you spend most of your time with? Who do you keep in contact with, you know, nowadays? Well, we, for, for the first um, the first season when we got promoted, I mean, we, we, where we were sort of riding the crest of a wave a little bit, we were doing so well. You know, we, we used to socialise quite a lot just as a team, really. Um, I used to spend a bit of time with David Fox. Um, our, our sort of partners got on well and, um, and, and Andrew Crofts as well. Um, so, because I think where we joined at the same time, you obviously naturally um, have that sort of relationship. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I just think we just, as a squad, do just such a good team spirit. And I think my wife, well, my wife jokes about it now, but I think when we got promoted, I think I'd, after the Portsmouth game, I think I was out for about two weeks every night. It was just unbelievable because we were just sort of, like I say, riding the crest of the wave. And um, so yeah, so I st- I'd still speak to uh, to David Fox um, every now and then. He's at Huddersfield now. I think he's working at Huddersfield. So, and I hear from a couple of lads every now and then. But um, but yeah, it's you know we, when you when you experience something like that with that group of players, you're always going to have a, a bond with them, a connection. It's, it's a real shame because when Russ and Wes had their their uh, testimonials, I was Russ. I was supposed to be playing in Russ's team, but I actually just tore my calf, um, so I couldn't actually play. I was gutted because when I saw the photos of all the lads getting back together, and um, and Aaron Wilbraham's another one who, who I speak to every now and then. I don't think he's got a club at the moment, but yeah, we had a great great bunch of lads, and um, and at this moment in time, probably the most people I speak to is uh, we. we, we our neighbours really, our next old next door neighbours, the cooks, so we're still really good friends with them. And that just goes to show that, that, you know, I think that's that's probably a, 
true true statement for a lot of players. The amount of players that don't come from Norwich that go back and live there because the people are so nice. You know, everyone gets on well. It's a great community sort of spirit and where it is set on its own, you do feel part of something there. Um, and like I say, we still speak to our neighbours now. So it's, um, yeah, so we, we, we formed some really good relationships there. Yeah, so you obviously had, had some good bonds. But what about those nights out that you've mentioned? You said, you know, you had two weeks where you were just non-stop out. Where did you used to go? What did you used to get up to? Well, we, we used to, uh, so we used to go to um, like Mercy. I don't know if that's still there. Yeah. No, it's closed now. It, oh, really? Yeah, we used to, we used to, yeah, we used to go there. Um, trying to think, there was one, I can't think of the one, the Bar 11 at the top. Yeah. Yeah, there. Uh, and then, well... The, the, the worst place to be really was we used to call it Memory Lost Pulse, which was Pulse down at the bottom of town. Because if you were in there, you knew you were in trouble because it was so late and it was just there was no one in there. But everyone, we, we always used to go in and do a bit of karaoke and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a nightmare. Probably I, I was probably a bit of a nightmare at the time. But I, like I say, we were just riding the crest of the wave and enjoying it. And um, and you know, we all were. My family, you know, my wife actually loved it and 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 really enjoyed it. I think I remember when we had the. Um, the presentation in the middle of the square in Norwich and things like that, you know, all the amount of thousands of people that turned out was, was incredible. Were you always the last one to leave Prince of Wales Road or who were your partners in crime? <laughs> I tried to be, I tried to be. Um, now, nah, to be fair, it was, it was probably like, you know, like Wes and, and Russell Martin. I mean, even Russ, you know, he, he, he doesn't drink, but he would always be there with the lads, you know, sort of celebrating. And I think there was quite a big group of us, to be honest. We always, we had quite a good, Good, uh, good school for a night out. So, um, it, which changed a little bit, I think, when we got promoted, because I think once we got promoted, I think it, it was almost like there was too much to lose going out at the time. We had to really look after ourselves in the Premier League. You know, I think there was a realization that actually, you know what, you know, you, you're a little, slightly more high profile as well because you're in the Premier League. And I just think felt felt people took a little bit of a step back from it and thought, well, we'll pick and choose our times to go out. There's, there's too much at stake now. That's really interesting. Was that something that you guys on yourself decided and kind of just knew or was it something that came from the club? You know, people are going to be on social media. They are watching your every step pretty much. And, you know, if you have had a few too many, people will know about it. Was that something you were conscious of because you were then in the Premier League? Yeah, definitely. I think 100% because I think, you know, the club obviously had to address that because they're, they're not, not just going out, but just any anything you're doing, really, you need to be, make sure that you're in you know, you, you're conducting yourself well because it, you need to reflect well on the club. And, and obviously when you're in a high profile position and you're, you're more in the spotlight, then, you know, you're going to be, um, you know, people are going to take interest in you. Unfortunately, some people will stitch you up, only the minority, but, you know, so you have got to be really careful. And I think, I think the lads just took a responsibility on themselves, like I say, driven by the club. Um, but we still, we still went out, still had a good time. You know, we just, I think we just had to, to rein it in a little, a little bit because obviously, like I say, I think times change and um, there's so much more exposure out there now. That's interesting. Do you tend to get recognised in the, the areas where you've played or is it, you know, will you be on holiday and someone will come up and recognise you? Um, not, not so much, no. I, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't class myself as like a, like a high-profile player. Um, obviously, even though I've played in the Premier League, I, I know people possibly recognise me, but not, not compared to some of the big hitters. Um, so I think, yeah, so I, I try to keep a low profile, profile in general anyway. You know, I'm not really on social media. I, I don't have anything against social media. I think it's great for, for a lot of things, but I try to stay away from it. Well, I've tried to stay away from it till now just because, you know, I, I find that there's probably more negativity than positivity on there. Um, 
you know, I, I used to cringe sometimes when, you know, I, I, we'd play games and players would be straight in the dressing room afterwards, straight on their Twitter, seeing what people were saying. I think I just couldn't handle that because you're probably going to say 90% of that's probably going to be someone saying how bad you are. <laughs> so I think, um, so yeah, so I, I try and keep a globe profile anyway. Obviously, you're going to get that, that, that recognise you. I'm probably more so in Southampton just because that's where I'm from and, you know, I've, I've grown up and, and met a lot of people and, and things like that. But um, but I, I don't mind it. I've never had touch wood. I've never had any trouble from it. You know, people are usually nice and, and I've always got time for people. So oh, That's good to hear. Andrew, you talked about how much you enjoy playing under Paul Lambert. Were you gutted then when he did leave to join Villa? Yeah, of course. Yeah, because I think, you know, you sort of felt like he could build more, you know. Um, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't blame him because when a club like Villa comes in, you know, he's he's going to take. He's, he wants to further his managerial career, and and you know you don't blame him for that. Um, so yeah, obviously it was gutting because, like I said, I was really enjoying playing under him. And then um, and think when things change, sometimes the whole dynamic of, of the club, the dynamic of the group of players, the, di- di- the dynamic of obviously the the coaching staff and everything changes. And and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. How did that news break to you as players? Is it something you're all nudging each other and talking about at the training ground? And then do you, do you know in advance of everyone else or is it a surprise? Do you learn when we tend to? Not really. Yeah, we, we usually learn. I mean, you, you hear rumours, you hear people saying it's, it's usually, you probably usually get some something from agents saying, oh, I've heard this or, you know, because obviously they're in the know quite a lot of the time. But you never know 100%. So you're only going off hearsay and, and probably the rumours that you're hearing in the papers. So... You know, when you hear something like, oh, you know, the gaffer's been linked with Villa, you think, yeah, but he's, he's going to get linked with Villa. So, you know, he could go, don't really know. And then suddenly, bang, you know, it's on Sky Sports News and, and that's when you know for sure. So, I mean, with, with, with Eddie Howe, for instance, you know, when he left Bournemouth, um, obviously there was 50-50 because you weren't quite sure it was a disappointing season and you had a lot of different things and, Mainly from the you know, obviously at the media and and I I literally found out you know I didn't hear anything from the club or anything it was but basically I was sat well, I was in Cornwall on, on holiday and um, my my uh, my wife said oh have you seen this and it just popped up on Sky Sports News and said oh Eddie Howe's left Bournemouth by mutual consent I was like oh wow and that was the first I heard of it so it's probably the, probably the same to be said for for most things probably it was probably the same situation for Paul Lambert as well. What did you do when you heard that Eddie Howard left? Is it you, you know, did you have a good relationship with him? Was it a case of dropping him a text or giving him a call? Yeah, I phoned him straight away. He didn't answer because obviously it was, I think it was like nine o'clock at night when the, the news had broke. So, um, so yeah, I phoned him and just obviously left a voicemail for him, obviously just saying how that I was that he was leaving and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, so it was obviously really sad and, and it was, it, and I also felt that it must have been really tough for him as well because he'd been at the club for so long and, I knew how much the club meant to him. So, yeah, it was just basically, basically a, a call just to say, you know, thanks for everything. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, he was great. And I think, obviously, over time, I think he, he, he got around to everyone just to sort of explain the situation and, and have a chat with everyone. So, well, Bournemouth was another really quite successful and consistent period of your career. At what point did your time at Norwich look like it was coming to an actual end? And how did your move back to Bournemouth come about? Um, yeah, so I, the, the, I think I think it was the last season that I was at Norwich. I, I played in the game against Spurs, and um, I, I tore my my medial, and it was it was I can't remember what month it was. It might be like November, something like that. And I, I didn't. It wasn't like a sort of generic one. It, it was just a bit of a weird one. I just felt a sharp pain, and I carried on playing the match, and 
I ended up getting quite a few injections because I had scans and they were saying, you know, it's, it's fine, we'll have a sugar injection and I had to go for them and it was quite a long process trying to get back. But every time I came back, I just couldn't even hardly kick the ball properly. Um, I remember we played Luton in a cup. Um, I think we lost 1-0, which was one of the worst, probably one of the worst experiences in football I've had, to be fair, because I think Luton were non-league at the time. We were in the Premier League. Um, and we lost 1-0 and I, I literally I felt awful you know, my knee so I, I went and got a scan straight after that and they basically said that it ripped off the bone so I had to get that pinned pinned back and from that point onwards trying to get fit again I think I think Chris Hewton might have been manager at the time um, I was just trying to get fit trying to come back and, and by the time I'd almost come back the season had, had mainly gone um, and I think I think I can't remember if Chris Hewton had gone by then uh when did, I can't remember when Neil Adams took over, I think it was Neil Adams. Neil Adams took over just before you joined Bournemouth because he was saying that he very much saw you in his plans, but you hadn't featured much under Hewton, obviously because of your injuries. But did, did you not have a very good relationship with Hewton? Um, I really liked him. I really liked him as a, as a guy. I liked him as a manager, but I think it was, again, it was a, it was a sort of thing where he'd come in, he'd, you know, located where, who he wanted to play, how he wanted to play. And unfortunately... You know, injuries aside, I probably didn't quite fit in to the mould of how we wanted to go about things, and and that happens. You know, uh, people got different ideas; they they look for different like sort of type of player, and and so even without the injury, it wasn't probably looking great for me. Um, I wasn't really playing that much, so I think it was just one of those things where the writing was on the wall that I was probably going to be leaving. Um, and then obviously, Chris left. Um, Neil Adams I had a really good relationship with Neil Adams as well. Um, I had some good chats with him before I left, and. And I just felt that he did, to be fair, he did say that he'd like me to stay, but I just felt that it was the right time for me to go. And obviously with interest from Bournemouth as well, to take me on loan, um, I needed to get fit. I needed to go and play games. So um, that's where I, where I joined Bournemouth. And obviously I had the relationship I had with Eddie Howe and, and things like that. That sort of swayed me a little bit. I, I felt that, you know, I hadn't played prop, like a sort of full season. I'd been in and out. I needed a good run of games and, and that suited me. I could go back down. Where, sort of where my family were and, and try and enjoy my football for a season. Did that feel like a, a sort of a homecoming for you in effect? How had Bournemouth the club changed during the period of your time away? Um, it, it changed quite, it was obviously slightly more financially secure. You know, when I was there at sort of 19, 18, 19, the, the club was really, really struggling financially. You know, I remember we had meetings where players were being told that they weren't getting paid their wages at Christmas and things like that and staff that were working at the club were in the same boat and I was obviously on loan so it didn't really affect me because obviously I was getting paid by Southampton but obviously you look back and you think wow you know there was a real struggle for the club and I think it come either just after or just before you know the fans were putting their hands in their pockets to try and bail the club out so so yeah, so when um, when I went back, it was it was slightly better position, but obviously I'd just come out of League One, just got promoted, so was still trying to build. Um, probably didn't have the res- well, definitely didn't have the resources it's got now from the Premier League. So um, again, it was it was another building job, really. So you go to Bournemouth and then you win promotion there under Eddie Howe. How did that differ from the feeling of winning promotion with Norwich? Obviously, you did it as the champions at Bournemouth. Yeah, it was very similar because the, both both sets of players were in a similar boat. Both teams had been promoted from League One. Um, most of the players hadn't, hadn't played in the Championship, let alone the Premier League. So, you know, it was a little bit of like an underdog story again, you know, where no one really expected us to do anything. Didn't really know what the season was going to be like. We believed in what we were doing, but didn't quite know what, what to expect. And 
but we we sort of had a feeling that second season when we got promoted um, that I that we we finished ninth the season before had a really strong finish and it was it was the highest finish the club had ever had in the league. And because we finished ninth, we thought if we can go a little bit further, we might get the playoffs. You know, we've got a really good chance. And and I think again, the season just seemed to, you know, we just seemed to stay around the top six. No one really, I wouldn't say no one respected us, but people didn't really look at us as a threat. So I don't, I think they probably underestimated us quite a lot until probably near the end when they thought actually these aren't bad and they've got a good chance of going up. So I mean, probably similar feeling. Probably, probably more so, I think. For me personally, it was probably more of a, a slightly better feeling in the sense that I felt like I had more to prove when I went to Bournemouth because I, I hadn't it hadn't quite worked out for me at the end of Norwich and I felt that I could play in the Premier League and I wanted to get there and I wanted to achieve something. Um, so when we won the league, it was just, you know, I just felt that as a personal achievement, it, it, it felt really good and I felt that I'd, I'd proved a point slightly. We watched on enviously, I remember. I think, is that the same season we went up? I think it was via the playoffs, but we, we saw you guys in the changing rooms pouring uh, pouring water all over your chairman and uh, that, it looked like great fun. But obviously the next season came the Premier League again and you just said you wanted to prove yourself and Alice and I were talking earlier that you played every minute of every game in the Premier League. Uh, that must have been some real justification that you can cut it at that level. Yeah, that was again. It was another point I wanted to prove, and that was my main motivation. Really, I wanted to, I wanted to play in the Premier League and 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 play a full season and and really contribute and show that I I could compete with with the best players, some of the best players in the world. And you know, we we, we were on the end of quite a, a few heavy losses to the top teams, which you expect. But we went out every game and attacked it. And and like you say, to be, I was just really pleased that I stayed injury free because obviously I hadn't really had a season like that for a little while. And there was no injuries and, you know, I managed to play every game and it was just, it was just incredible. And we, we, we did really well. And again, we, we really surprised quite a few teams that season. Do you see similarities? Obviously, Bournemouth stayed in the Premier League for five seasons, obviously then coming down last season. But do you see similarities in the way that Norwich and Bournemouth are both working to eventually become mainstays of the Premier League? Yeah, I, I think I think I do because I think both, both clubs have never, never sort of really especially since the last promotions, never gone for like big names. They've always gone for players that possibly, you know, other players, you know, people haven't heard of, or they've brought young players through the academy, or they've tried, I mean, Bournemouth did spend a lot of money, but they've spent a lot of money on young players. You know, the manager wants to improve them, improve them and improve the squad and build for the future. And I think Norwich obviously did that when, especially last season, and unfortunately they got relegated. But I remember seeing at the start, you know, the, the um, chief exec and, and, the manager came out and said, look, we're not going to be going and spending big. You know, we want to consolidate what we've got here. We've got good young players. We want to build and we want to try and stay in the Premier League and without spending an arm and a leg. And, and I think that's probably similar. Like I say, we've, it's, Bournemouth's in a slightly different situation because it had, you know, at, at the time we had one owner with a lot of money, you know, and that he was bankrolling the club. Um, I'm not sure what that would, if that was the same for Norwich. Um, so it was almost like he could spend vast amount of money um, even on young players so it's probably slightly different to, to the Norwich situation um, because obviously they want to try and not spend too much but try and stay in the Premier League but there's probably similarities in that sense um, and I, I just think that especially Norwich is such a big club such a big fan base such a big stadium everything's a lovely training ground everything's geared up to be in the Premier League it's just trying to stay there for long enough and I think once you can consolidate your position for two or three years 
there's no you, you can build and build and build and build and end up with top ten finishes and, and pushing the top six. And I mean, so clubs like Wolves have shown that, you know, and, and Bournemouth to be fair to a certain extent we did that. Um, I, th- I still think they can. I still think they've got a Premier League squad at the moment. They've managed to keep holding most of their players. As of Norwich, you know, I, I remember doing the game when they played Bournemouth on the radio and they were talking about Buendia. Um, I think well, he was the other two players that were possibly going. There was three players, I think, that were, that were left out of the squad that everyone was saying, yeah, they're leaving, they're going to Spurs, they're going to West Ham. But, you know, to, to be fair to them, they managed to keep hold of their best players. I think it was Cantwell as well. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely flying in the Championship now. If they can get promoted, they've got a great squad ready for the Premier League. And what do you make of the work Norwich have done with developing young players? You mentioned Todd Cantwell there and you see like the, the big sales of the likes of Ben Godfrey and Jamal Lewis last season. How do you think that that, that, that kind of development is going with Norwich? Well, I, th- I think the names you've just mentioned, you know, um, it's incredible really to bring players through like that and sell them for so much money. And I think, I think especially probably below the top six, I think that's the way it's going for a lot of clubs. I think and with this whole COVID situation, um, you know, even in my in my situation when I've been out con- I've been out of contract now. Obviously, I've tried to sign for Milton Keynes, but clubs I was talking to, the main thing they were looking for, they want to sign young players, they want to develop them, and they want to sell them for big money. And there's two names that you've just mentioned there. You know, Bournemouth have done it. You know, we signed Nathan Aki for 20 million, sold him for 40 million. It, you know, and, and even I think it was um, Callum Wilson. You know, I think I can't remember signed for. Yeah, I mean, he went for for big money to, to Newcastle. And I think, unfortunately, Norwich might be in that situation at the end of the season because they've they've you're almost a victim of your own success when you're bringing young players through because they they brought those players through and, and they probably are going to be under a lot of pressure to sell them. But as a business model, you know, <laughs> you can't argue with it really as long as you can still have success on the football pitch. And I think the Norwich you've touched on there is the business model for Norwich is obviously that you progress those players when they get to a level where potentially they move on and, and that money comes in. They're already looking two or three players behind them for someone to come in and fill that gap. And I think uh, I, I think that's the business model that we've talked about, Alice, and a lot of people have come on and talked about. As players, is that something that you understand when you're part of a club? If you get a, a promotion... Do you think, actually, I quite like the fact that they're going to give us, as players who got the job done, a chance to prove ourselves in that next level up? Yeah, I definitely do. It's, um, but I, th- I think it comes with experience as well. I think when you're a young player, I think everything's so emotional. You know, when you get left out, you, you know, you want to bang the door down and ask why. And, you know, when you're not in the squad or I was doing well and why aren't I playing? You, when you, I think as you get, well, when I, at my age now, and I've, I've obviously experienced it at different clubs, you realise that there's a lot more to it. You know, there's a lot of players that need to play. There's players, there's a business, like you said, there's a business model, certain players that need to play because they need to develop them. Um, it's not necessarily anything you've done individually. It's just something that you need to understand that that's the way that it works, and especially at the top level. In the Premier League, the squads now are huge. You know, if you can get a young player into the, into the first team, um, about, you know, 17, 18, 19 does well, you, you know, as a business model, you're looking at it saying, well, clubs are going to be looking at it now. You know, they're going to be willing to pay 20, 30, 40 million for someone like that. So it is something you you, you understand probably further down your career when you're playing in it and you think, well, how come he's starting? You know, I, I've been doing really well and it's a little bit more difficult to understand, but you, you do get your head around a little bit more of the business side and then what goes on behind the scenes. That's really interesting. And I, and I remember hearing you say that 
playing in the Premier League, you've constantly got to adapt, evolve, to, to keep up with, with the changes. How do you... Because you played in the Premier League for a lot to evolve with it. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest two clubs really that have changed, completely changed the Premier League are Man City and Liverpool because they've just raised the bar so high that you have to adapt. And it, it's very difficult because as you're getting older and it's getting harder and harder and harder, you know, you have to you have to try and adapt your training and probably you have to have more rest, but it's very difficult because the more you rest, you want to get fitter, you want to get stronger, you want to be able to compete with certain certain sort of players and clubs and stuff like that. So it has adapted so much. And and like I say, I mean, you know, touching on again, I think now with this whole situation financially for all the clubs, you know, clubs that you probably didn't realise are so close to the, you know, on the edge of, of administration or being in real money problems because of COVID. And they're looking at different models to try and get themselves out of it. And, and that is one of the ways to do it is to, is to bring players through and, and possibly sell them on. And unfortunately, that's just the nature of business. But but yeah, like I say, I mean, in terms of physicality and things like that, yeah, you have to you have to adapt. And I think the training methods, you know, um, change. I mean, we had, I suppose, one side effect to that is when I was at Bournemouth, we had probably two seasons where we just had a ridiculous amount of injuries. You know, it was just, it was unbelievable. And some of the injuries they were getting, and they weren't even contact, they were just knee injuries. And we had, I think, you know, Callum Wilson did his cruise shit twice and we brought Tyrone Mings, he did his cruise shit straight away. Max Gradle, he did his cruise shit straight away. It was just, it's unbelievable. And, I, and we, I remember we constantly questioning the players and the staff saying, what, what is going on? Why are we getting so many injuries? And sometimes maybe you think, well, the intensity is so high in the Premier League that your body is, you're pushing your body to the limit every week. So you're going to be opening yourself up to injuries. And, and Andrew, when did you know that your time at Bournemouth was coming to an end? Because obviously it ended with the relegation last season. Weird times for everyone because we had Project Restart, no fans there to see it. Bournemouth so close to, to staying, you know, to, to survival. But Aston Villa obviously ultimately stayed in the Premier League in the end. How, how did that feel for you, knowing it was coming to an end and not having the fans there to sort of say goodbye to? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, for me personally, it was probably the worst possible timing um, to leave a club because I think, I think it was building throughout the season, even though we had a big break with COVID, where I hadn't really played and... I was starting to think, right, okay, what, what, what am I going to do next? Because the chances are I might not get another contract here. Um, you know, I might end up sort of out of contract or do I need to line something up? Or are they going to keep me here because I'm a senior player and, you know, I can offer something else? And you're not quite sure. And, you know, a lot of it was going to possibly depend on whether we stay in the Premier League or we went down. And I guess I was sort of half expecting it anyway that I wasn't going to be there next season. Um, but... It's just a shame that, you know, like you say, there's no fans to say goodbye to or the way it sort of ended. And you, you almost feel like you go into this sort of abyss where, you know, you're lost because people sort of, well, whatever happened to it? Because you're just not in contact with anyone. So it was really tough. You know, I completely understand understand the, um, the club's position because obviously they had to cut their cloth. You know, at the end of the day, every club was doing it. You know, every time we got relegated, they had to make cutbacks. I wasn't, you know, as a player, I was disappointed, but there was so many staff behind the scenes, massage staff, you know, every people work around the stadium that got, they had to get, you know, made redundant. And, and it was the same, everyone was in the same boat. So it was just one of those things. But like I say, you know, it probably would have, it's probably the worst time for me personally in terms of my age, not having played really that much this last season. And then obviously on the back of relegation and obviously Eddie Howe leaving, it was a, <laughs> it was a bit of a full pronged attack, that one. Yeah, it was a tough period, but, Obviously, then the call came 
uh, I think in November of last year from, from a, a former teammate perhaps who, who thought you'll be useful for his new project how, how did that come about? Yeah well I'd spoken to him a little while before and he sort of I think it was actually at the start of the season before when I didn't really play too much before the sort of COVID season and sort of said that, you know, if you, if you don't get too many games and you want to go on loan, just give us a shout and, you know, we could do with a player like you sort of thing. And, and I, I sort of said, yeah, yeah, I'll let you know, but I wanted to see how the season was panning out and and then didn't really hear too much, to be honest. And then I had a couple of things in the in the fire um, sort of just at, at the start of this season. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do and whether they were going to sign me and things like that. And then, when nothing really happened, I, I, I contacted him and said, look, you know, obviously if you still need a midfielder, just give us a shout. And and he was like, yeah, I should do. And and it literally was done within like an evening. It wasn't, there was no negotiation or anything. It was just like, yeah, no, I'll come on up. And and yeah, I was obviously really grateful that he showed the interest in the first place. And it was nice that it was someone I knew um, who I was obviously quite close to when I was at, at Norwich. So, um, so yeah, it was, and I've really enjoyed my time here. I mean, I always remember Russ when he was at Norwich, even, you know, this is obviously what, seven, eight years ago, he, he was even saying then that he wanted to be a manager, you know, so he's fulfilled that. He's a manager of, of a League One team. He's, he's doing really well and, and I've really enjoyed playing the way that he's actually setting the team up to play. Did you have any reservations going from playing in the Premier League now to League One? Is it, it's obviously a big jump. Did you have any kind of second thoughts about doing that? Uh, obviously, I wanted to play as high a level as I could and I wanted to exhaust every option possible, really, before I, I sort of felt that, you know, I could take certain options. So, you know, I wanted to, at least I knew I, I wouldn't be probably playing in the Premier League, um, but I wanted to see if I could possibly play at high, high, like as high a level as I could, maybe in the Championship. But unfortunately, like I say, probably for the reasons I've, I've said before, you know, it, it just didn't quite materialise. And so I ended up um, somewhere in League One and, and I've, like I said, I've really enjoyed it. You know, MK Dons play really, really good football, really good style of football, different to, to what I've seen a lot of teams playing. Um, and I've just really enjoyed it. It suits my game. You know, it's total football. And, and like I say, hopefully we can get some success with it. Do you still feel a hunger? I think you're the ripe old age of 34, is that right? Just, yeah, still feeling a, a hunger to play the game and enjoying, enjoying the rigours of training and all of, that comes with it? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And I think it's difficult because when I was at home through the lockdown, it, it's very difficult because you, you get in a bit of a comfort zone. You know, it, it's difficult to, I was going out running on my own and, and trying to do work on my own. And it was becoming more and more difficult to motivate myself because I just couldn't quite see what, what, what I was going to achieve by doing it, where I was going to be going. So it, to be back involved in a training environment with the lads, you know, playing, it, you realise how much you miss it. And, um, you know, I've, I've just really... I, Obviously, the main thing I miss is obviously the fans not being there because there's a great atmosphere and that's what you play for. You want to go and play in front of fans and and do well. But um, yeah, and I've really I've really enjoyed um, being part of the club at the moment and you know just see how it see how it pans out now. What's Russ like as a manager? Is he as you expected him to be? Yeah, he's actually everything I expected him to be. To be honest, because um, he's always been a really really strong character. So you could tell, like I say, when he was saying he wanted to be a manager, you could tell that he he was cut out for it. Um, even back then, he's always been a really strong personality around the lads. He's got always had really good, strong values um, as a player. And I think you can tell that, you know, he he's no different in a way, but he has obviously added every, so much more to himself to become a manager, which I think you need to do. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to be a manager. You've got to add a lot to your, your personality and, and and your sort of football understanding. You can see that. And like I say, the way that he sets the team up with, with the assistant Luke, it's, it's 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 brilliant, really, and, and like I say, it's different to, to a different outlook on probably what I've seen at other clubs. 
Yeah, it's interesting because Russ has obviously, he's always been a bit of a leader. That's been his trademark. So, so he was always going to be a manager. Is that something that would interest you in the future? It's something that I would, it does interest me. I, I think, I just think, I think it's something I'd have to be fully committed to. I, I wouldn't want to go into it because I feel like it's a natural progression of, right, well, I've, I played football, so I'll just go into coaching and then I'll be a manager. I wouldn't want to do it if I wasn't 100% committed because I just don't think you get success that way. I think I have to really look at myself and go, yeah, you know what, I really want to be a manager because this is stuff I'd have to add to, my, to myself, my personality. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of learning I'd need to do from the tactical side and how to manage people and things like that. So there's a lot to learn. You know, it's, it's not something that I know, and I know, Russ has worked really hard to get to where he is. You know, the, the journey he's taken to get to, to be a manager. So it's not something that's easy to do. So I think it's just something I need to assess. Um, I've done my B licence in my coaching. I'm, I'm currently trying to get a A licence. And then once I get that, then I'll see, because I think you'll, you'll learn a little bit more what it's about. But um, but yeah, like I say, it's, it's not it's not for the faint heart. I don't think managing <laughs> managerial, I think it's a, it's a massive commitment, something that if I decide to do, then I need to be all in really. How much has your relationship changed? Obviously, you've gone from being teammates to being player and manager. How much has that kind of altered things? Uh, to be honest, I, I, it's probably still the same. You know, um, obviously, I've got you. You, you you're automatically going to have a slightly different relationship because obviously he's your manager. You know, and it doesn't matter the fact that we might be the same age and we play together and we get in well and all that sort of thing. You still have to have that respect, um, which I do. You know, massive respect for us anyway. So, um, but yeah, I just. I feel like coming in, I really want to do as well as I can for him, for the club. Um, and 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 I obviously just want him to be a success as a manager. So like I say, I know how hard he's worked for it. So it's just been really enjoyable. You know, he, he like you say, it's, it's great to, to be playing with someone that you know so well um, and you've got a good relationship with and, and you can and you can have quite a comfortable chat with rather than, you know, again, when you're younger and you're playing for a manager, you're a little bit in awe of someone and, a little bit sort of like scared of the manager, you know, when you grow up it's, it's and, and you get older and you get more of an experienced player and, and you're playing with someone that, that you used to play with, it's, it's it's great. Do the boys give you any stick for being teacher's pet, for being a Russ, Russ's mate? <laughs> no, they don't, to be fair. They're probably behind my back, but not to my face. So, so. <laughs> What are your aims for the season? Um, well, I'm signed till January, so obviously I've, I'm, I've only got... Well, 10 days left on my, my contract so I don't know it just depends if that's extended or not so I need to obviously sit down with Russ and have a chat with him about it but um, I think in terms of right now I think the, the, the team um, you know really we, we need to be pushing up the league we've, we've just come off the back of a couple of um, couple of wins so and with, with other teams not having played through COVID it, it's pushed up, us up the league and put us in a good position so just need to keep going. We've got Burnley on Saturday, which in the cup. So if we can, if we can take a bit of a scalp there, you know, be a Premier League, Premier League team, that'd be great. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just trying to build and, and try and get this, make this season some sort of success, I think. And are you hoping for that to be uh, extended past January then? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like I say, I've really enjoyed it. So, um, so yeah, it's just, uh, like I say, there's, there's a lot of factors involved, you know, it's not just possibly what I want to do and what he wants to do. It's, you know, you've got to think of the club's finances as well. So, um, but yeah, we just, we just have to wait and see. And like I said, I've just really enjoyed it so far. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Perfect. Well, finally from us, you had um, a few successful seasons, obviously at Norwich. What does Norwich mean to you and how do you reflect on your time at the club? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a massive part of my life. I mean, you know, that, that success we had that season and obviously playing in the Premier League and, 
you know, me, uh, you know, I can speak for my, my wife and, and, and kids as well. They, they absolutely loved living there. You know, we, we often talk about whether we'd actually move back there because it was just a lovely place to live. Um, like I say, we, we know a couple of people there still, a few people. So, you know, it's it, it'd probably be quite an easy transition for us. But yeah, it's, it's an incredible, we had a, an amazing time, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. And, um, and like I say, it was just playing in front of like a full stadium every week. You know, you don't get that at a lot of clubs. You know, if teams are struggling, you, you don't get a full stadium. And the fact that they, like I say, they had a full stadium in League One all the way through to the Premier League was just, you know, shows how much it means to the fans. So, yeah, I'll always have a massive um, respect for the club and and what, what it did for me. And I absolutely loved it. So um, even up to Delia, you know, I, I met Delia a few times, Delia Smith, and and she was, she was lovely. And, and like I say, great to my family as well. So I really enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll be seeing you and your family back in Norwich before too long then. Yeah, Andrew, fingers. thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us on All In Yellow. Thank you. Cheers, thanks, Andrew. Cheers, Cheers. Andrew. Nice to catch you. Well, what a treat that was. Great to hear from one of the unsung heroes, really, of that incredible promotion-winning side, wasn't it, Dan? Yeah, he's a modest chap, Andrew, but he was hugely popular when he was here at Carrow Road. And he's gone on to do great things at Bournemouth after the Canaries as well. So he's had a great career and, and he sometimes goes under the radar a little bit. And now back with Russell Martin at MK Dons, which we love. Make sure you subscribe if you want more podcasts just like that. We're on Spotify, Apple and YouTube. Just search All In Yellow. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.